aqui estamos juntos carregando a cruz. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Eu louvarei meu Deus. Louvarei. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Não sei o que será do amanhã e que o futuro tem. Mas eu Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Meu Deus, eu louvarei, meu Deus. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Louvarei, meu Deus. Não sei o que será do amanhã. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Mas eu louvarei. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. We'll be streaming live soon. Prisioneiros acordaram, cheios de alegria. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon.
Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Numa cela fria escura, corpo ensanguentado pelas mãos que batem nua. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Chamo seu nome. Esperança se criou. Na escuridão ele responde. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Você sabe, irmão Silas. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. A morte esteve perto e eu só tenho dor. E quando abri meus olhos, please stand by. We'll be streaming live. Do we, do we start all over? Yes. Oh, we're starting all over. We had technical difficulties. I'm Betty McKinney. We're here at Rick Bonfin Ministries in Athens, and good morning to you. Glad you're with us. Uh, we are in John 17. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, and I'm so thankful the Lord had it written down in his word so we could get a glimpse into what perfect prayer is. Think about this. This is Jesus praying to his Father, so we know this is perfect prayer. And we know that this prayer must be answered because it's God the Son talking to God the Father in in unity and in oneness. So there's so much for us to glean from this. And <clears throat> so we're um I just got to verse three yesterday, I think. That's as far as I got. So let me read that again. And this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus says, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. Meaning, eternal life is not just a future inheritance. One day I'm going to have eternal life. Eternal life is now. Eternal life is something that we possess now. Knowing God, he said, this, this is the definition. This is eternal life, that they may know thee. So if you know God today, Matt, you are living in eternal life now. And I think it helps us to see that, that it's just like, oh, I've got to wait it out forever and ever on this earth until I finally get to eternal life. He has, he has caught us up into eternal life now. 
Verse 4, I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. For some reason in my New American Standard Version, whenever there's a prayer, it always does the thee and thou kind of thing. It switches. But um, <clears throat> Jesus says to the Father, I glorified thee. In the NIV, it reads, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. This is a statement of victory. Jesus, after everything he's been through in his life, even from having to run to Egypt as a child because Herod was out to kill him, <laughs> being rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth, being rejected by, by the average person, by the religious leaders, by everything he knows he's about to go through, he proclaims, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I see here Jesus calling forth, okay? Because, first of all, he says, I've done the work you gave me to do. Jesus' mission was not self-centered or self-directed. Every minute of every day, he was doing God's work. He He was in stride. He was constrained by the work of God. And he said, I've done that. What a statement of victory. Then he calls forth, he says, by finishing. Now, he has not yet been to to Gethsemane of that night of agony where he had to wrestle with his humanity and really make that decision to surrender, to drink that cup. He hadn't been through that yet. He hadn't been to the house of Caiaphas. He hadn't stood before Pilate. He hadn't been scourged. He hadn't been to the cross. But he's already calling it done and finished. Jesus is saying, I finished it. In his heart, he's already made up his mind. He will finish the work of God. So it's as good as done. And then finally he says, the work you gave me, which emphasizes the supreme place of the Father. And that's something Rick's been talking to us about, is that we can get so fixated on Jesus, he's easier to to relate to. He's... He was a human being like us. He walked this earth. And so we can get so fixated on a relationship with Jesus that we forget he was opening the way for a relationship with the Father. And he wants that for us. He wants us to have a relationship with the Father. So he acknowledges the supremacy in the Godhood of the Father. And John 4.34, I think Cindy has that one. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Yes. My food, what I live on, my sustenance, what motivates me, what I, what I draw from is to finish his work. Again, there's so much for us to learn. If we want to be successful in life, in our Christian growth, in our service to God, to just look at the mentality and the attitude Jesus had and then to say, Lord, you give me a little bit of that? I've got so much of my own agenda, my own wants, my own um, mission going. Would you give me a little bit of this um, heart that I just want to do the work you give me to do and finish it? Amen. I know I need that these days probably more than ever, ever. Um, <clears throat> so moving on, I'm going to try and cover a few more scriptures few more verses today because this is a long prayer we have a long ways to go to finish 17 so verse 5 and now glorify thou me 
together with thyself, Father, with the glory I had with thee before the world was. So here he is clearly proclaiming and establishing the pre-existence of the Son, that he is part of the Godhead. He says, I was with you before, before I was on this earth. Now glorify me with the glory I once had with you before the world was, which just leads me straight to a passage I probably reference more often than any other one. Um, It's just one of my favorites and so powerful, and that's Philippians 2 which makes it so clear. It's uh, Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to as, as his right. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you believe the Bible, if you believe in God, you have to believe that Jesus is God. He pre-existed with the Father. He was not just a good man. He was not just a good teacher. With the things he said here, just this one scripture that I glorified thee on that that glorify me with yourself with the glory I had with thee before the world was. Either this man is telling the truth, or he's a liar, or he's mentally unstable, right? We have to make a decision. You can't just make him a good man when he makes a statement like this, that I existed with you in glory before the world was. Okay, um, I'm going to go on now and read a section, verses 6 through through 8. and I want to read this in King James, um, in, our, in our Expositor's Bible. I have manifested your name unto the men which you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. This, um, this means that even before Jesus came along the Sea of Galilee, and said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. God had already chosen them. Because he says, God, Father, you gave them to me. God had already chosen them. Um, And when it says, um, I have manifested your name unto the men which you gave me out of the world, I looked that word men up in the lexicon. Because I knew there were disciples that followed Jesus who were women. What about Mary, who poured out the costly perfume? Was she not a disciple? So I looked it up, and it is gender neutral. (laughs) So it's translated in our English language as men, but it means men and women. God chose disciples to follow Jesus before he even encountered them and said, follow me. Um, I have manifested your name unto the men which you gave me out of the world, 
yours they were, and you gave them to me. If you're a follower of Jesus today, that means that God gave you to him. It began with God. God chose you. And so now I was asking Matt technologically if my little chart would work, if I hold it like right here, except for the green screen's going nuts, right? Okay. I want to explain predestination. Would you like to understand predestination? Because if God chose you to follow Jesus, you're saying, yeah, well, does that mean I was predestined and I didn't have a choice and God chooses this one and he doesn't choose that one? That, that hangs us up sometimes, doesn't it? It, it divides whole sections of the church. This, this little picture is my picture of predestination. Okay. This is God up here. This is just the glory of God. This right here, this little line, is time. Time is just something that happens within eternity past and eternity future. Time is just time. But God has been forever and ever and will be forever and ever. So from God's perspective, he looks before time. And then he sees the people. He sees Kathy and he sees John and he sees Cindy and he sees Matt and he sees Frankie and he sees you. And he sees you on this journey and he calls to you. He says, I've chosen you. I want to get, uh, you're mine and I want to give you to my son that you might believe in his death on the cross to save you. And if you choose to receive that gift, then you are saved. So God can look from eternity future and he can look back and he can see who received that offer. Do you see what I'm saying? He sees both before eternity past and he sees eternity future. So he doesn't tell us whether we're going to or not from before time. He knows because he sees he's in eternity future as well, he knows who has made that choice to receive that gift. So did he choose you? Yes. But did he force you or did he not choose that one? No. Does that kind of clear up predestination? A little bit? That's that's my picture of predestination. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um, so, going on with verse 7. Now they have known that all things, what whatsoever you have given me, are of you. Like I said, my NSAV, it does the thee and thou. I go over to the King James, it says you. <laughs> that confuses me, but that's okay. Now they have known that all things whatsoever you have given me are of you. Actually, the disciples, insensible and full of faults, and yet the grace that loved them spoke of them in these very, really Jesus is esteeming them. He's validating them. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me. Over and over again, Jesus proclaims that he was led by the Father in all things that he did, even the very words that he spoke, and they have received them. does not necessarily mean that they understood them, at least at the time, but they did believe them. And later they came to understand them. And have known surely that I came out from you, and they have believed that you did send me. And here he proclaims a core belief um, that even though their knowledge and their belief and their faith was not perfect, they had a measure of faith. So what's Jesus doing 
John, you need me to do something? Yeah, I need you to stay in the middle and not move back. Oh, okay. I guess I'm getting... Uh, Rick must be watching. <laughs> okay. What's Jesus doing here as he's talking about... He's talking to the Father, remember? This is his prayer. And he's saying to the Father, I've manifested your name. They have known the things that you give me are of you. I've given them everything Everything you gave me, I've given to them, and they, they believe it. This is grace, because Jesus meets us where we are. He also sees the future, not only where we are, but where we will be. So he's talking to his father about these men who've been with him and women for three and a half years, and he's saying, good job, Father, you gave me the right people. They're, they're in a good place. It's okay that I'm leaving because they, they've got it. Even though we know they don't quite have it, Jesus meets us where we are, and he sees where we're going to be. And, and that's just his, his grace, you know. Um, I think about the story. What about Matthew um, 16? I think about that story um, when Jesus is with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. <coughs> and... Um, he asks his disciples, I'm in Matthew 16:13, who do the who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Like I always say, again, this is a verse I reference a lot, so you probably heard me say it before. What Jesus is saying to Peter is, now, Peter, you're going to make it. You're still going to have problems. You're still going to fall in the ditch a few times. In fact, Peter is going to deny him on the night of his arrest. You know, just totally let the Lord down. Uh, Paul and Peter will have some problems and differences in ministry in years to come. He knows Peter still has a long way to go. But he says, blessed are you, because now you're going to make it. Because you know who I am, I will tell you who you are. And so then he changes his name. From flake to rock. <laughs> he basically says, you're Peter. The one who's always sticking your foot in your mouth. It's always impulsive, always being emotional. But now, you're a rock. So Jesus calls forth who he sees us to be even before we can see ourselves like that. And, and that's what he is doing in this prayer to his father. He is proclaiming to his father who these disciples are even before they grow into that. That's how Jesus talks to God about you. <laughs> he doesn't talk to God and say, oh boy, look at that servant down there. Oh, we got trouble with that one. I just don't like. He speaks positive. He speaks faith. He speaks forth what he knows he's going to make us to be as, as he converses with his father. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I debated whether I should share this question, this story, but I guess I will. Um, everybody around here knows that I'm mentally insane because I now have a new baby granddaughter, Amelia, and I'm so in love with her, I can't stand it, and I can't stand that she's in Oregon. 
And I had a prayer, a, a time of talking and prayer with Cindy Fain yesterday. And Cindy was praying, and she said something to this effect. Lord, the way Betty just looks into Amelia's little eyes and her smile and her little nose and her little chin, and she just gazes, could look at her for an hour without being bored. All she wants to do is look at her and just adore her. That's how you look at us. And Cindy and I were just marveling then after that prayer of, that is true. That's how God looks at us. The same way I look at my darling and I'm around at the office. Look, look, look how cute she is. Look how darling she is. Look at her little smile. That is how God is looking at you today, Cindy, with just adoration. Just, I can't stop looking at you because you're so precious to me. So this is what Jesus is speaking. This is how Jesus is speaking to his father about his disciples. You think God is up there just counting your sins and your faults and marking your wrongs and your failings and no, it's the exact opposite. He's calling forth. Jesus is interceding, calling forth and rejoicing with his father in who you are. He is making you to be. So. Three basic things he states to his father about the disciples. First of all, unlike the Pharisees and others, they accepted the teaching. He knew they didn't always understand. We don't always understand God, all he's trying to tell us. But he's looking for the heart. Do you accept? Let me just ask you this. Do you accept and believe that whatever God speaks is true and perfect, whether you understand it fully or not? Yes. So he's saying... They, they accept it. They don't understand it all yet, but they accept it. Secondly, he says, they now know with certainty that Jesus is divine. And that only comes by revelation, like we just read in Matthew 16, when Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this, but my Father who is in heaven. So he speaks to his Father and he says, they have received revelation from the Holy Spirit. They know who I am. Um. And that's where I was going to get into the John, explain the historical Jesus. <laughs> Can you explain to That's something that's in our world today, right? What does it mean when we talk about the historical Jesus? Yeah, it, it's basically the idea that Jesus is a historical figure, just like Julius Caesar or hmm. Muhammad. Or, but he's not the son of God. He's not a deity. And so we might can learn some important things from his teachings and who he was and he might be interesting you know to see how he impacted the course of human history in the world uh but there's no reason that we should uh think in in any way that he is other than a man mm -hmm. you know just He's another historical, historical figure, figure that impacted the world in various ways okay very well done. I asked John to do this because he can explain it more succinctly than anybody I know. But today we have a lot of people looking at Jesus as a historical figure, meaning they are missing the revelation that Jesus Christ is God. So Jesus said to his father, they've had this revelation. They accept that I am God. Amen. Um, and third, he says they believe in verse 8. He says, I've given them the words you gave me, and they've received them, and have known surely that I came from you, and they have believed. They accept his word. They know he is who he says he is. 
and they believe even when they don't fully understand. They're all they're on a journey of learning and growing and developing and receiving conviction and changing. And that's where God looks. He looks at the heart. So as we see how Jesus speaks to his father about his disciples, I want us to see that that's how he speaks about us today, to the father. And those of us who struggle with condemnation all the time, thinking God's just always thinking negatively about you, I want you to look at how. I know I'm I'm belaboring the point, but I I want you to see in this prayer how Jesus speaks to the Father about you. God loves us on this journey. (laughs) He doesn't expect us to be saved and arrive on day two. (laughs) Did you know that? In fact... Here's a newsflash, newsflash, you will never arrive. <laughs> we will never get there to perfection until we see him. But he accepts us on this journey, and he's for us on this journey. He's not against us. Um, I love Jonathan Kahn. I love Jonathan Kahn, and I recently, because Pastor Jeff Belmer was just so amped up about it when we were in Israel, the book of mysteries, I decided to get it, and I'm, I'm glad that Jeff turned me on to it. And it's just got a lot of cool things. And I'm, I'm going to read just a couple paragraphs out of one of the entries. Everything in this world is temporary. <clears throat> it's not the place in which we stay. It's the place through which we journey. And we pass through, we pass through this world. It isn't our home. It's the tent world. All of us are just campers. Everything in this world changes. Every circumstance, every experience, every stage of life, they're all tents. We dwell in one tent for a season and then move on to another. Your childhood was a tent in which you once dwelt and then you moved on. Your good times, your bad times, your successes and failures, your problems, your joys and sorrows, your adulthood, your old age, they're just tents. Even your physical being, even that's a tent. Temporary and always changing. Don't we know it, Cindy? (laughs) The very frailty of it all is a reminder that we're only journeying through. For the child of God, it's the journey home to heaven, the place where we give up our tents and exchange that which is temporary for that which is everlasting. No matter what happens in this world or your life, never forget, you're not home. You're only journeying through. Every problem will pass and every temptation will fade. So tread lightly. It's not the scenery that will determine your life. It's not the circumstances. It's where you're going. Amen? So he sees these men on a journey and he says, Father, um, they're good. I, I, I thank you for them. They're on a journey. And so then let's finish uh, the next few verses. Let me see if I can get them in, starting with verse 9. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all things that are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I have been glorified in them. So again, we we made note of this earlier. Jesus draws a distinct line between those that are who belong to him and those who don't. And here he says he draws a line between the world and those who are not of the world. And he says, 
I do not ask on behalf of the world. Why does Jesus ask all these things he's asking for his disciples for the world? Well, they can't receive it, right? Because they haven't had revelation. The only prayer Jesus could pray for the world is that it would cease to be worldly, which he has done in the past. His whole ministry was an expression of God's love for the world, for the lost, the broken, the the unlovable. And he eventually does pray for the world. In verse 21, he says that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. He also prays for the world in verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and did love me, even as thou didst love me. But he's saying, Father, right now, I'm not talking about the world. I'm asking on their behalf. <clears throat> Verse 11 and 12, and we're going to finish here. And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. Here is Jesus' fervent intercession now, because he is coming to the place where he's saying, I get to leave this cursed world. But they must remain in it, in this hostile place. And indeed, all of them except for Judas will become martyrs. They will live in a hostile world that eventually they give their lives for their faith in Jesus. So he says, I am no more in the world. You see how he's already there? You know, This is going to help carry Jesus through everything he's going to go through in the next 24 hours. Because in his mind, um, he's already out of here. He's already home. That's another glimpse into how Jesus accomplished what he did and finished, finished his course. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one, even as we are. His number one request to the Father for them is expressed in this verse. Unity. Let them be one, even as we are. Um, And he's asking this to come from God because unity is something given. It cannot be achieved. See, what the unity Jesus is praying for here is to be like the same kind of unity that Jesus and the Father have. That is a heavenly thing. That is not an earthly thing. That is not something we can humanly muster up or achieve we cannot put together an organization and have unity that is this kind of unity so he's asking for something that comes only from heaven a unity that exists in the Godhead and that is something that is attainable only when we give full control to the Holy Spirit then he can bring this unity finally I'm going to finish with verse 12 while I was with them notice how he's already out of here (laughs) (laughs) I was keeping them in thy name which thou hast given me and I guarded them and not one of them perished but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled I was keeping them I guarded them which he still is somebody has Deuteronomy 31.6 read that we're going to go over a couple minutes because we had technical difficulties and we had to start over so we'll be two or three minutes over be strong and of good courage Fear not, 
nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he it is who does go with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Okay, so he says, I was keeping them, I guarded them, and actually his promise is I will never leave you or forsake you. So he still is keeping and guarding those who belong to him. Amen? Amen. He says, except for none have perished, but the son of perdition, meaning Judas Iscariot, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas is a mystery to us. And, and there's still, I mean, we could talk for an hour and debate, you know, how it is that Satan entered his heart and how he was one of the disciples the whole time. And that, that's just, that's just so much mystery surrounds. But I want to read two scriptures that um, show the prophetic that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's the words of Jesus. Judas was not able to be kept and guarded from falling away because the scripture had to be fulfilled. Psalm 41.9, and then John 6.70. Yes, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Okay, that's one of many scriptures in the Old Testament that prophesied about Judas. Um, It's just another example that everything in the life of Jesus was already set prophetically. Even that a friend, an intimate friend, would Turn, turn against him. What about John 6:70? Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? And so, you know, he, he said it from the beginning, and still Judas hung around. Interesting. But, um, again, everything in the life of Jesus was set prophetically. Jesus received it from the Father. He did exactly what the Father asked him to do. So let's, let's, um, let's end with prayer. It's hard to know how to stop because this just flows on, but we have to stop. Lord, I just want to thank you this morning that you've given us a glimpse into how you think about us and how you speak with your Father about us, that you see that we're on this journey, and yes, we believe, and yes, we accept, and yes, we know, but we are so incomplete and imperfect in so many ways, and yet you're calling forth what we're going to be. You're calling forth a good finish. You're calling forth that we will continue to the end and we will fight the good fight and we will finish the race. And, um, Lord, you are, you are for us. And you and your Father are speaking about us right now. I, I pray we take this personally, Lord, that you are speaking about me right now with whatever I'm struggling with, saying she's going to be okay. She's going to make it. She is going to finish the course. And, um, God, we just thank you for loving us that way. We thank you for thinking of us that way. And we thank you for putting in your word a glimpse into how you and the Godhead view us and how you dialogue about us and how you intercede for us. So I just pray this just gets through somehow into our hearts and changes a little bit the way we view ourselves and this, this journey that we're on. Today, in Jesus' name, amen.